0: Welcome to the At U2 podcast, episode number 45, where we talk all things U2, album news, tour dates, community discussions from the staff of At U2. Welcome to our pop pop popisode, Pops whatever. <laughs> Let's bring on some guests. pop popcast. Yeah, there you go. Bring on some folks to help rescue me from my own dumb puns here, because it's later than usual when we record, and so we might be a little punchy, a little poppy tonight. So uh, first up in the list is Sherry. Welcome back, Sherry.
1: Boom-cha, y'all.
0: And Marilyn. Howdy. <laughs> and Ian. Hello. And uh, you all failed, except for Sherry. Once again, the the memo that I didn't send about having a pop related or album related uh, what would that be? Catchphrase or introduction phrase or something when I introduce you. Um, and Becky will be joining us at some point later in the show when when she gets here or there, whatever. So um before we just to stop the emails we are going to do a passengers episode but it's not going to be we're going to stay with the traditional albums uh for now and we will do passengers extras b-sides all sorts of other stuff eventually but so we thought we'd i guess i did i didn't even actually ask the committee the podcast committee i just made up a rule that we're going to do the uh official albums first and then uh we'll settle everything else after that if no new album has dropped by then Oh, that's ever. putting
1: some pressure on.
0: <laughs> we'll see.
1: <laughs> Larry, do you want us to talk about passengers? Really? <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> so you know what we're going to do this time is uh, we, we're all the Ask at you 2 questions. So you can normally you can send in questions through Twitter and comments and stuff for the show. If you use, has, use hashtag Ask at you 2 on Twitter. And uh, but this time all the questions and comments were related to either songs or the whole album and stuff like that. So we're going to just jump right into the roundtable discussion and skip all the preamble that we normally do. So might only be a two-hour episode tonight instead of the usual four or six hours, whatever we are. So uh, I got a memo from Matt. So we're... No, I'm just kidding. We didn't really get any memos. We don't have memos. We just have Slack. But um, So if you're just joining us, if this is your first episode because you love pop and hate everything else by U2, welcome here. First of all, we're doing an album by album discussion. We started back on episode 34, 10 episodes ago. So if you go to goodstuff.fm slash atu2 slash 34... That'll be where boy starts off and you can follow along as we go. So we're up to pop. So anybody have any thoughts on, uh, just where, like where you two was at when pop was released. It was the uh, mid nineties, late nineties, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Um, at mysterious days had commented songs like please wake up dead man gone, etc., suggest such a dismalness was the band in a state of despair. If Berlin inspired act on baby, do you think Miami inspired pop? So, um, were they actually in Miami for the whole recording or was it kind of like part of the, that's sort of where they landed for a bit of the recording kind of album sort of record elsewhere. And then they end up doing the final stuff in in Dublin back home. Anybody know? Couldn't they tell. Were,
1: you. <laughs> they were all over the place. They were in Dublin for a period of time. Uh, they were in Miami for a period of time. They were also down in Cuba. Um, that's where some of the, um, the photos from the pop photo shoot took place. Uh, but they were really disjointed with the recording of it. They were bouncing back and forth between Howie B and Flood. And, and um, uh, they kept asking for an extension because uh, the album just never felt finished. And so when, um, when the record label guy would show up at, at the studio... And, uh, uh, Matt has a really good interview with Mark Moreau, where he goes into it and we'll put the link into in the show notes. Um, the band just was not ready to release this album. Um, so, uh, as legend has it, they booked the tour, they booked the Pop Mart tour prior to the album being finished, which was, uh, the worst thing that could have ever happened. And I believe next to passengers, uh, Larry said that that's probably the worst decision they've ever made. So um, it put them in a bit of a pickle that um, here they are releasing the album at the same time as, as them, uh, them announcing a tour. I mean, the album came out March 2nd or 3rd, The tour was announced on, of all things, Ash Wednesday uh, at a Kmart in (laughs) Midtown (laughs) New York City in the women's lingerie section of all places, which they thought was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but nobody got the joke. And so from that point on, the tour announcement came before the album came out, Um, and then you also had the discotheque video that was – not a very U2-y kind of thing. And people were really confused about the band. So I think the band was confused. We all were confused. Media certainly didn't get it. Um, and so thus began the legend of pop, which we'll get into in a little bit.
0: Wasn't, uh, was Larry, this is where Larry had some, I mean, he's had back issues, but like, wasn't he gone for a while or something? He was like, be, he was injured or had to get surgery or something anyways. And so- I don't know, maybe this is urban legend and probably is a lot of it is urban legend, <laughs> but you know, where he's gone. And so then they bring in electronica dudes and dudettes or whatever who are helping, you know, fill in the gaps so they can, you know, do using remixes or using loops and stuff like that more. Yeah. Uh, and so then, you know, I, I could understand Larry coming back and being like, what the, Larry. <laughs> Is like, going do on i here. still
1: have a do i still have a job here this is my band after all yeah so i think i think that added to a little bit of the tension as well
0: yeah definitely yeah i know i remember uh and and you guys can jump in here too when uh, sort of seeing the discotheque video and being with friends over and and finding f- on the web or something i heard maybe on they're going to preview it on in canada here like uh, much music but um and watching it with friends, being like, "Oh, the new YouTube single or video or whatever," and like, and everybody in the room just came, kind of being like, "Okay, I, I don't know what to do with this." Just like you said, it was kind of like I, you dig the, I dug the music for sure, and it was just kind of fun. But then the video was like, "Okay, are we? This is like over the top, kind of making fun of themselves or the industry or whatever." And yeah, just like you said, I, you kind of didn't know what to make of it and and how to sort of in a sense justify you two to your <laughs> friends at that moment anyways, for me. Um, but maybe Marilyn, how, how about you? Do you remember when the album was released and sort of what your initial thoughts were going into it?
2: Um, I actually don't remember when the, uh, album was released. Uh, I didn't come to pop until 2001. So, um, I know I'm a great two fan, right? Fan of the year. Um, I, uh, I had gone back to work after I had my son in 2001, and it was right after 9-11, it was a a week later, and um, somebody at work had a mixtape of U2 songs, and, um, you know, I was a casual fan, Uh, I went to all the shows, because I I knew they always put on a good show, Um, and I think All That You Can't Leave Behind just came out. And there were some songs, there was a bunch of songs from that um, CD on there, on that mixtape. And there were a bunch of songs from pop. And I didn't know the songs. And I was like, what? There's you 2 songs that I don't know? Where, Where have I been? So it took me, it took me a couple years to find pop. But then once I did, so I didn't, I didn't hear of any of that right uh i didn't know anything about the tour all the issues they had all the scheduling of the tour before the album came out i didn't know any of that i just uh i found the album and then i started listening to it and i was like oh my god where has this been all my life <laughs> this is my album
1: nice. So that is a blissful way to experience pop
0: yeah <laughs> it was the and it was
2: just like you know, I heard, uh, I think uh, on the mixtape was Please and If God Will Send His Angels and maybe one or two other ones. And I was just like, where has this album been all my life? I love this album. It's just, so, yeah, I missed all of that. I mean, I did go I did, I did. go to the Pop Mart tour. And the only thing I can say about that is our tickets, it was in a stadium and our tickets were at the, in the uppermost levels but they didn't sell all the tickets so they pushed everybody down and we ended up on the second level or something so you know yeah. i'm sure all the people who paid for the second level seats were very angry at the people from the top level coming down <laughs> and sitting next to them well you know they paid you know they paid more money for their tickets but yeah um uh, yeah but otherwise yeah i didn't know any of that any of those stories until much
0: later how about you ian what was your where did you come at, Pop? Well,
3: one of the things I'd add just to the recording story is, if I remember correctly, uh, after Adam missed that show on the Zoo TV tour and decided to go sober, he one of the things he did while he was working on his sobriety was go to a bass instructor in New York. And so this was the first album they released after he had like finished, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, technically learning how to play the bass. And I mean, on songs like Mofo and Last Night on Earth, and If You Wear That Velvet Dress, his just increased talent just within that short space of time is just so clear and so impressive. And it's one of the best things I think about the album. Uh, For me, this was actually the album that got me into U2. Uh, I remember very clearly the night that I first heard Discotheque. And just from the very start of it, I was just listening there with my jaw open, like, what the heck is this? And it's still so clear to me listening to the song. And it was back when radio was still a thing. So I immediately called into the radio station. What the heck was that? What was that? And they said, that's the new U2. And so as soon as it came out on single, I bought the single and I remember buying the album. It was the first time I'd ever bought an album the day of when it's release. And I remember just listening to it pretty much nonstop for three days, just nice. again and again and again. Just This was the album that convinced me that U2 was the band for me.
0: So there you go. To all the people who, I, I forget who it was, there's a couple of people who tweeted like, are there actually enough people who like pop to have a podcast about it or whatever is what they are? You know, <gasps> that's, that kind of me. I know, that's what I'm just saying. Here are in the flesh they do exist and I I count myself one of them as somebody who definitely likes pop, not all of it, but uh definitely likes pop. Um there are people do enjoy it i remember re- hearing that too somehow about um adam i think larry too taking like drum larry lessons.
1: was up in boston
0: yeah and just like the it, it kind of blew me away and obviously musicians do this all the time but just the idea that here's a successful band and the the instrumentalists are going to take lessons again and how would somebody approach that like here's you know as a teacher or whatever and obviously there's lots they can learn and stuff but i just remember at the time thinking like oh wow that's so crazy that they'd be taking lessons <laughs> i'm sure um bono went in for lots of lessons and songwriting training as well well.
3: (laughs) he had less he had voice lessons from Chrissy Hine didn't
0: he
3: (laughs) round unforgettable fire
0: yeah exactly yeah so um the uh
1: pop Pop was the first album that I did a launch party um for that was uh was for the Boston area fans to begin with. Um, And we did it at the paradise. Um, We were lucky enough to have Carter Allen come out for it. And there were about 300 of us all doing the, uh, the uh, 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 pop launch uh, a couple days before the album actually hit stores. So that was my first foray into it was actually helping promote the album. (laughs) Oh, nice. That's fun.
0: (laughs) Fun way to, so you got to actually hear it before the the whole album was released anyways, which is pretty cool. Um, all right. The um, the one comment, I, where is it here? At this Train 9900 said, any thoughts on why Holy Joe was never performed live after the Kmart press conference? Because famously they performed that song as part of the press conference. I personally really loved the song. It was, was it then B-side on, uh, is a Discotheque or mm-hmm. I think? Um, I really liked it. It doesn't sound like it's a fully fleshed out song. Maybe that's why they never actually went too far with it or whatever but uh any thoughts on why they would have done it there and then just kind of dropped it away
3: the performance was so bad i mean mean, if you listen to it it just sounds awful
1: it was all reverb
3: yeah yeah it just sounds
0: atrocious yeah
1: (laughs) i i think it's because they didn't know how to play any of the other songs
3: Mm -hmm. it's possible yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) and but they would have uh, had that at that time at the press conference anyways they would have had the album track listing settled right like it was or am i maybe maybe not
1: maybe maybe not <laughs> uh uh the press conference was uh what was it february 12th album came out march 3rd so depending on where things were in the production line yeah uh it's still questionable
0: yeah in uh, rolling stone has the their list of 20 insanely great u2 songs only hardcore fans should know holy joe is listed as number 5 and their description of it kind of, I guess, sums it up. It says, when you 2 announced their ill-fated Pop Mart tour at the lingerie department of Kmart in downtown New York, they could have serenaded the press with any songs from their vast catalog. But for some reason, they opted for Holy Joe, the B-side of discotheque. Pop is nowhere near as bad as the legend suggests. And it would have been even better had they included Holy Joe instead of Miami or the Playboy Mansion. We'll get into that later. They haven't even played a note of Holy Joe in concert since that press conference. So. I
1: think it's because they were in front of all the media and they were just saying, come on, come on, be good to me. Right. Yeah.
0: Just kinda of going off the, the literal lyric. Nothing uh yeah, just right on top of it. But uh I don't know. like
3: for me, the uh edges bridge, the guitar in that just sounds so much like even better than the real things bridge. Yeah. Uh for me it just the song sounds pretty derivative. It doesn't sound like that original for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we got had a few comments from some listeners uh, just about the album as a whole. That we'll just read off a couple of them here, and and then we'll get into the song by song discussion of the of pop. But uh, at Matt McGee, uh, frequent c- caller into the show, <laughs> we haven't answered his call tonight, I guess. But uh, if you two had stuck with pop songs more in their live shows, would the album have eventually become more loved by fans? Which is an interesting theory because. You know, famously, at least for me, anyways, it it's uh, often through the live versions of songs that I hear I start to really fall in love with them. And and as they, you know, obviously keep it in their catalog, on their live show catalog, uh, more fans find it if they didn't hear it in the first place. But what do you think? Is there is there a reason why pop is kind of the? I mean, we talked about some of the reasons or difficulties they had recording it, but is that why the album then is kind of looked at upon lesser, I guess, with by some fans? Do you think?
2: I have a theory about. Um pop and the way that people react to it. I think there's a lot of revisionist history going on with the way people um, think of this album because of the tour and because of the disaster of the tour and the disaster of that uh, Kmart appearance um, and um, the show in um, Las Vegas, which I guess some of you guys were at, um, Sherry, you were at that show, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I thought, I thought especially, um, when they were touring around with the Claw for the 360 tour, I thought the pop songs would have been just absolutely perfect for that stage setup because it was a big stage and these are big rock songs, um, and I thought that was a missed opportunity. And I, I do think that if they played these songs more in concert, uh, people would have a better um, feeling about the album, um, This even this late in the game. So I, I'm always sorry that they don't play anything from pop. We usually get a little snippet here and there. You know, they'll throw something in. Um That 360 stage, I thought that was the perfect vehicle for, you know, Gone or any of those big hard rock songs. And they just, they missed it. (laughs) Such a good opportunity.
0: (laughs)
1: Yeah. And and I would be curious if Matt was talking about tours in general or if they played more of the pop songs during the Pop mark (laughs) 4.
0: Kind of go, Uh, yeah.
1: Because for Pop Mart, the band struggled with with uh, with certain songs. I mean, "Do You Feel Loved" was dropped after what the seventh show. Um, they struggled with "Staring at the Sun" because they couldn't replicate what it was like in the in, in the studio. So they tried it three different ways out on the B stage. Um, none of them worked, in my opinion, except for. Acoustic, but when they ever tried doing it with the bongos, it, it just it was just wrong on so many different levels. Um th- that because the album, at least in North America, wasn't being played on radio to the extent that it should have, the first leg of the Pop Mart Tour sold based on it just being U2. Then when it came back to North America for that third leg. They really struggled with selling tickets uh, to the point where there were shows down in Florida where they were in stadiums with 60,000 seats, but only 20,000 people showed up. And uh, I think Edge said, um, I forget if it was Tampa or Miami um, uh, during the uh, karaoke, you know, um, um, how's the crickets back there or something along those lines. Uh, because the stadium was just so empty, um, I I think that that they could fold in more of the pop songs after uh, 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 from the Elevation tour on. But I think there's a part of 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 this album that the band would just like to forget about. I'm um, I, I am hopeful that Mofo will make its way back into this set in one way shape and form um and when we get into some of the other uh, um song by song stuff there are elements that that could work um but i just think that pop is 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 an album you either love or you hate there is no in between
0: yeah yeah, it's probably just a lot of the just like technical, musically or whatever, technically difficult to to reproduce because of so much else that was going on, and they hadn't quite sort of grappled with how to reproduce that electronically, and whether they wanted to bring people on tour with them exactly as they do now, and playing under the stage and stuff like that. Which I guess they did a bit of a suit TV, but um, yeah, the there's a funny comment from at J j j wabicker (laughs) he says i'm a huge defender of pop he has an article that he links to an open letter to bono regarding the underrated gem pop which he says dear bono i know you're still embarrassed about getting stuck inside that giant lemon and goes on and we'll we'll link to it in the the show good old oslo (laughs) and uh which is their kind of own every band has to have their spinal tap moment and they got theirs so um but uh he says, "I we know it's underrated, but maybe also as relevant as ever." Uh, at Sharoff's mentioned, I love the pop album so sexy and emotional. Uh, Bono's <laughs> at Bono's chest hair <laughs> asked, "Why is there no chest hair in pop?" That's something because we ask in Miami. Oh.
1: They wax, baby. Yeah,
0: we ask ourselves uh, every day. Go ahead. If you look at the pictures of Edge in the CD booklet, there's plenty of chest. Hair. I was going to say, yeah, it's but it is Bono's but chest is hair. Bono's yeah. hair. <laughs> It's a fair question from Bono's chest hair, but uh, yeah. I'm I'm sure Edge
3: would be willing to share his hair.
0: Yeah, so add Edge's chest hair if you're with there. Then you can weigh in on this. Uh, At uh, U2 War 40, almost all the single versions of this album are superior. The exception is staring at the sun. No album in U2's canon shows more diversity than pop. Bravo. And at RVH 95, I remember when pop was released. It was so radical I felt angry that U2 was taking advantage of my fandom. How wrong I was. So... Yeah, it definitely is an album, like you said, Sherry, that you kind of love or hate. And then there's even some, a bit of love and hate as we go song by song, even, I think. So, which we'll jump into right now. And uh, it, it was great actually to actually get lots of comments from people on specific songs, which if you, in future discussions like this, if you want to do that, that's great. And we'll kind of just incorporate them into our discussion as we go song by song. So, uh, first up, of course, famously or infamously, is uh, Discotheque. I hope that that's actually Adam's bass like that when the music drops, but there's just the bass line there, which is, there's not, it's not too complicated, but uh, I sometimes wonder if it actually is Adam or if it's just like, you know, it could be the producer doing a quick thing there or that Adam actually didn't technically record or whatever, but um, I just love the, the feel of it. I remember in my, I was actually dri- I remember driving my parents' car cause they had a better stereo and putting that song on and, and uh, yeah, just really loving the, dynamics from quiet to loud uh at fabatini said i have to say that i was a little bit shocked when i watched the video of discotech for the first time and you and like we said earlier (laughs) definitely there was some a bit of confusion um uh, about the song and the video in particular and where it all sort of land i think do you think i guess maybe the the theoretical is if they hadn't put out a video like that you just heard the song and maybe this is Marilyn's experience i guess coming backwards to it sort of do you think it would have been caused the same kind of confusion over what is YouTube doing just hearing Tech," Or is it still the boom chuzz that would kind of like throw you off? Sherry, what do you think?
1: I don't think Tech" should have been the first single off of this album. Yeah. Um, and the video is so ingrained. Um, um, they, they even played off the video in concert when they came out onto the B stage and launched the, the encore with it live. Um, it's, it's, it's got a catchy beat, you know, that they were still very much into the club culture at that point. There are several remixes of the album, uh, uh, uh the version of this song. There are several remixed videos of it that were uh, designed for, um, the video systems within clubs. Um, it, it, didn't sound anything like U2, which is their signature trademark, I suppose. But I just think that the video shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. Or I, vice versa.
3: Yeah. I honestly I, I couldn't agree, I couldn't disagree more, sorry. Uh, this was this was the song that got me into U2. This was the song that convinced me that like I said earlier, U2 were the band to follow. You two were the band that talked to me. Um, looking at the videos for like even better than the real thing and lemon and, Numb, uh, I don't, I've, I've always wondered how people were kind of shocked by the discotheque video and how like disco-y and kitschy it was just because, I mean, for me, it just seems like it's a very clear progression from what the videos they were doing on Octoon Baby up through this. And yeah, I, I, don't have enough words for how much I love this song. It, it's it's what convinced me to be a YouTube fan.
0: Nice, that's good to hear. Like the the counterpoint, and I love that's why I love doing this series that we're doing because you kind of just you know you live in your little YouTube bubble or big YouTube bubble as the case may be, <laughs> depending where. Or Bono's where.
1: bubble pants. Yeah, or Bono's <laughs> bubble <laughs> pants
0: as someone in the chat room had asked about. Is this day is this when Bono wore bubble wrap? <laughs> yes, yes, it is it definitely is. is. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you yeah, it's it's good to. To sort of get outside your bubble wrap pants every so often <laughs> and see.
1: Well, it's also it's also interesting though, too, because if you're thinking about um Zuropa being a very European sounding album with a lot of European themes, when you have Discotech leading off the, the next album and it's the first single off this next album, I don't know how many discotechs there are in in the States it seemed to me to be that that continued tie in with with the european side of things um but yet they were focusing their energy and their efforts on north america for the promotion of of the album so once again i think that that's where that disconnect came
0: yeah it is that is an interesting point just because of the the yeah you wonder if they had launched the tour let's say or whatever in in Europe instead of in the U.S., which, yeah, what how things might have gone over differently, uh, and things like that. So, uh, all right, anyways, we've got to keep moving. Uh, Do you feel loved? Is the next track.
3: So one of the things that I've heard a lot about U2 albums, the really good ones is that they always have a really killer one, two, three start at the album, at the beginning of the album. And for me, the start of Discotech do you feel loved mofo is yeah. About as tight as U two have ever been just, it, it takes the energy of Discotech, but it's smoother and sleeker. And one of the things that, this is one of the thing the songs that made me like really pay attention to how Bono used lyrics and how they used titles and phrasing. Cause I remember reading it, I think it was in propaganda, uh, him talking about how they gave the song a title that was a question, but they made it a statement because it doesn't have a question mark at the end. So do you feel loved is not a question. It is like, it's a declaration of the song and it's, it's not curious about whether the recipient is feeling love. It's more of like, a, it's a command. And yeah, I think this is the perfect tie in between discotheque and MoFo.
2: I agree with uh, Ian about the first three songs on this album and how they're just really, um, it's, it's like getting punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but in a really good way, like (laughs) that whole, that whole, uh, boxer Bono thing that he did, you know, coming into the arenas and, you know, for the Pop Mart tour, I thought that was really, um, a good visual for how this album feels. It's very aggressive. It's really, um, um, like Ian said, it's, I think Bono's writing, um, starting with octung baby he he went inward and this album is probably their darkest and I think this album is everything that they do to the nth degree it's like the funkiest it's the rockiest it's the darkest it's the most um, it has the most um, uh, joy in it but it's it's everything all the time and the first three songs I think are just um, amazing and this song I, I love this song and that little bit that you just played that's my favorite part
0: oh nice. <laughs> that was a happy yeah. accident yeah there's a lot of swagger to this the first three for sure and and I do wonder like the live component not when it doesn't at least for for my view and it sounds like Sherry's view anyways too the live component didn't pull they didn't pull it off quite as well or have quite as like I wonder you know going like Somehow, you see you two do without the lemon, obviously, but you know do do this set in in a club, like an actual club, an actual discotheque or something like that, where it's like sweaty, hot, and the bass is just like hitting you in the face and stuff, um you know, like my usual weekend, just out of the discotheque <laughs> that I do, but the you know you wonder how that like that feeling to me would be a sweet way to hear pop in a sense and see you two perform pop in in that like smaller setting you know in a sense even though it's like a there's definitely big moments in the album but um anyways i'm getting ahead of myself and uh we'll keep the dance club vibe going here a bit with mofo <laughs> I think I forgot to fade that one out. (laughs) (laughs) Looks like it's just going to keep going, which I know normally wouldn't be a problem other than we just don't want to get sued. That's the... (laughs)
3: I was busy dancing to it. So I was cool with it.
1: (laughs) Well, I have to concur that that is one heavy mother effing song. There is so much to unpack in it. Um, And that is my second favorite U2 song of all time. Um, There's, there's, there's anger, there's uh, despair, there's um, every single emotion. Um, is is compacted into this fireball of a of a track, um, and you know you think about the songs that that Bono wrote about his mother, and and this one is just full on uh, uh, anger uh, about you know going going from do you feel loved, which. Which I can understand, you know, isn't a question, but you're, you're looking to fill that God-shaped hole. You're looking to fill that part of yourself that got ripped out of you when your mother died, when you were such a tender age. Um, and so, you know, you've got, you've got so many lyrics in there about searching, about, you know, nobody tells me no. Um, um, he needs direction in his life. He needs somebody to, to control, you know, or to teach him. And, and, and I see this as a, as a track where, he, where Bono might be noticing that I'm spiraling out of control. I'm searching, you know, I'm looking into religion. I'm looking at this, I'm looking at that. And, and, and the only thing that is filling me right now is that mother suck and rock and roll um it was a power punch to kick off the tour um and and it's 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 a song i can never get sick of
0: okay you referenced that i just have to ask put the question out there do you think was he uh i, I actually know this was discussed when the uh, when the song was came out and stuff but putting mother suck and rock and roll instead of the obvious choice of mother f and rock and roll was he Deliberate, was he wimping out on having to swear in a, in a song? Or
1: I just thought he was sucking at the teat of rock and roll. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> when you, get, I think it's like the second or the third
3: chorus, he actually, I mean, you can hear him say, Mother, <laughs> rock and roll.
1: yeah.
3: And I mean, it's for me, it's kind of like a buildup, like, right? I mean, he, he it, in the first couple of verses, he's saying it out loud, Mother, Mother, sucking, and then by the time he actually gets to it, he's just like muttering it through like clenched teeth. It's yeah. It, I can't talk enough about how much I love this song. It's like after Lemon, this is the song that I want to hear the most live. Um, I remember like at the Vancouver show, the start of the Innocence and Experience tour when he was launching into Iris and they just did that mother. He starts singing, Mother, am I still your son? Yes. And I, I just about squealed. Uh, it was so, so amazing. Um, the other thing that really, really, I mean, this is one of my top tens. U2 songs ever and I will never ever get tired of it but the thing that blows my mind about it is how such an amazing amazing song prompted so many just awful awful remixes it's it's just it's it's a paradox I don't understand it <laughs> that's
0: funny I, I wonder I was thinking actually when Sherry was talking to about the idea of like and I'm sure somebody's done this already but putting a uh Marilyn mentioned I think uh mixtape but but like putting a mixtape together of all the songs where Bono's referencing you know fairly directly or almost you know a little bit indirectly his mother and and what that album of sorts would would actually sound like because yeah it's not every song obviously but (laughs) there are there are enough that you can make a an interesting album out of that uh but yeah the the remix is on on this one I remember this was a stage for me where I was just like devouring U2 as a whole and like thinking everything was great and fighting anybody who argue about pop or whatever even though in mm-hmm. hindsight now i think i was maybe had my lemon up my butt a little bit or whatever but wow
3: that's
1: going. a visual yeah there you go <laughs> now the, with um the mofo you had um dennis hopper announcing you two at this um as right. they launched into the song uh for the uh, MTV European video music awards. And, and, uh, he didn't hold back with, with the swear on that one. Uh, uh, we got it bleeped out here in North America. Uh, but going back to them, to the mother effing, had he done that and gotten a parental advisory sticker on the album, it probably would have sold more because they had the parental (laughs) advisory on it.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, F up the mainstream a little bit. All right, let's keep moving on.
3: Show me the score. Then put Jesus in show talking about transitions like again from discotheque to do you feel love to mofo going from mofo to this where the previous song is just like this bulldozer just trashing everything and then you come to this song that's just this beautiful crystalline fragile structure Uh, again i just love the transitions in this album um This is probably like the clearest example of how much better the single versions of the songs were than the album versions where they moved the bridge a little later in the song and they changed the ending up and what they ended up with in the single version is truly one of the most beautiful songs you two has ever done. They did a phenomenal video with it and just they filmed it in a diner in Las Vegas and it's just all these people all sped up coming in and talking to Bono and he's obviously not listening to them and they're not listening to him including when the band shows up and sits in his booth and then to top it off they didn't play it much on the Pop Mart tour but the first time they played it they started off with just this quiet just guitar uh, bit from the edge and Bono singing over it and then when they launch into the song itself it's just this beautiful shimmering like gorgeous piece of work and i think it's unfortunate they could never quite figure out how to make it work because just the bare bones of what they had at that first las vegas show just i still listen to it it just sounds so beautiful to me
1: this was the one song that got me through 9-11 because you know when the cartoon network turns into the news Every single station was broadcasting news about the tragedy. And the only station that I could even fathom putting on was Cartoon Network just to get away from it. Um, you know, does love light up your Christmas tree? All of those different things. And and just thinking, you know, uh, uh, the call out to say, God, where? Where are you? Where are your angels? Where, where is everything? Why are we in this predicament? Um, And 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 so you know that was four four years later. Um, I love how you you phrased it as being a crystalline song. It's 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 the perfect uh, um, uh, paradox to the first three songs.
0: Yeah, it was actually, for me, the memory of it, I was actually buying the single version. Uh, I found the the single uh, in Dublin because I happened to be there. And that's when I happened to come out and buying it there and bringing it home and stuff and, and listening to it for the first time. And I forget where, some hostel or something that I was in. Um, and uh, and just feeling like this cool connection to you know the band, obviously, and being in Dublin. And I don't think they were there at the time or anything like that. It wasn't. I wasn't uh, savvy enough to start stalking them seriously (laughs) at that point, but, but being aware of that, I was in this place where they potentially had made this music and, and hearing it and, and the single version too, like the, like you said, Ian, I think it's probably, I I, don't quote me on this, but it's on a podcast. So I guess you can, that I think it's the best like Mm. bridge back into whatever chorus or verse, wherever they go uh, in a song that you two has done. At least for me, emotionally, uh, whether musically is, you know, for debate, but um, just the, the way the, build back into the song and stuff is, is awesome. And, um, yeah, something I don't think they've replicated since, but, um, let's, uh, yeah, let's keep, I mean, I could just, Marilyn, we haven't heard from you, but (laughs) do you have,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, I think this song, uh, the placement on the album is a necessary deep breath, uh, from those first three songs. And, uh, every good DJ knows, when to slow things down so that people don't drop over <laughs> while they're dancing. So, yeah.
0: All right. So next up was uh, staring at the sun.
1: this is one heavy song as well, because it it sounds very, uh, uh, lighthearted, kind of like a wild honey type of type of a vibe. Uh, but you start off the, the song about, you know, we're just, uh, um, you know, stretching on the grass and, you know, stuck together with God's glue. That's a very clever way of, of, uh, um, uh, describing whatever you're doing in the grass type of deal. And then and then you end the song with about entrantages is all around and military's still in town. All of a sudden you've got the innocence of a summer day being stripped away into, you know, this this political situation. And and within the album, that transition into that heart of darkness section of the, the, of the album. It's a, it, it, it kind of startles you a little bit at first. Did you think it's a, it's a nice poppy little song, but once you get towards the end of it, you, you just want to go back to what it was before. You you know, I'd rather go blind. I don't want to see what's coming up ahead.
0: It's also probably the, is it the only pop rock song with, Intransigence in it as a lyric. <laughs> I don't know if that's. <laughs>
3: well, I remember. I think I remember Bono saying in an interview that the song was about uh, the siege on Sarajevo and how Western Europe just wanted to ignore it and just mm-hmm. wanted to just do what they were doing. And the intransigence referred to both sides refusing to cooperate and refusing to find compromise and. Yeah, it's one of the things I love about you too. where they can take this catchy, I mean, seemingly kind of kitschy song, and it's about the most deadly, heavy stuff you can imagine, and they still can play both sides of the table. They can make it work both ways. I love them for it.
2: And I love the live version of this song. Um, When it's just Edge and uh, Bono singing... By themselves, just the acoustic B B stage version. Um, I think that lends to the heaviness of it.
0: Yeah, there's a quote um uh, from this site uh, at u2.com uh that they have from the edge. <laughs> back in 2006, you know, from U2 by U2, just to say Staring at the Sun was another great tune that never became a great record for whatever reason. I don't know why we didn't quite nail it in the end. When we were playing it live, we just sang with acoustic guitars, and the song came through much better. And kind of like what Ian said, too, where it's like, you can see people who aren't paying attention to lyrics, maybe just sort of thinking it's, and Sherry said this, too, of like just a fun, easy, light, acoustic-y pop song thing, and but still has that depth to it that is is there for... For the person who goes looking a little deeper, so,
1: and it's and it's interesting that that Edge memorialized it in in such a way in YouTube by YouTube because this was the second single off the album. They had recorded the Las Vegas show the first night of the tour uh, for ABC. Uh, they they were promoting the heck out of you know ABC is pop. Um, um, special YouTube uh, uh uh tour special, and uh, it it ran in the ten o'clock hour the night after Vegas. So they had a very tight turnaround to get the final editing done. Um, so they were going to use this to promote their next single, which is "Staring at the Sun." Well, the nerves must have gotten to them because when the band started. Playing it um, uh, on the B stage, it it was so bad because they they were out of time, out of sync, out of tune. That Bono just stopped the whole thing, explained that we're having a little row over here, talk amongst yourselves, and and they regrouped and they sped through the track just to get it finished. And in the end, they couldn't use it for the ABC program. So there goes your your prime promotion of your second single. But that really didn't matter anyway because the pop special on ABC ended up being one of the worst-rated programs ABC has ever aired. Um, so uh, uh, they didn't miss out on much. Yeah. <laughs>
0: i remember watching that you mentioned dennis hopper too wasn't he was part of that like it was kind of this like yes he was he was introducing stuff and then the band was they were showing clips or, uh, yeah it was a weird kind of yeah just didn't uh, didn't play well on back in the home tv land anyways that's for sure uh all right let's keep on going last night on earth she
3: feels the ground is giving way. But she thinks we better So I know the song is called Last Night on Earth. And I don't know, for me, the initial response is kind of like, oh, it's maybe apocalyptic or maybe the person who is living the song is going to die. But I've always thought this was more of kind of U2's science fiction song, where it's not her last night on earth because she's going to die. It's her last night on earth because she's going to take off in a rocket ship. When you listen to the song and the effects they use and... Just the feeling of fatigue, and just the way she describe the way Bono describes the song. For me, yeah, it's always felt more like uh, just kind of a kitschy sci-fi U two song rather than some apocalyptic, despondent.
0: Yeah, song about someone going to nowhere. Which it could be maybe column A, column B too, because this is the video with Charles Bukowski, was it? Or I've yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. It, yeah. Kinda, yeah, it has it- a very weird vibe to the. Around it's got her.
3: sci-fi where there's like people melting into goo. And yeah. if I remember correctly, there's some like lasers shooting and stuff like that. It is yeah, more sci-fi than end of the world ish.
1: Yeah. yeah. Bukowski also, also had uh, the last night of the earth poems, uh, um, which I don't know if, if, if the song itself was inspired by it or not.
3: Well, wasn't wasn't he on that Pop Mart special? Because I remember I watched it as I was getting into you two, and that's the one part I still remember him reciting some poems in the middle of it. I
1: uh, I think he might have done the Thanksgiving poem um, uh, for the Zoo TV tour.
3: Gotcha. Was
1: that was that um, Bukowski? Couldn't tell you. It's way too late. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Someone can uh, can send us in, send comments in if they want to correct us on anything that we're doing here. But um, I, I think that I was going to just say to Ian, to your point, the the line that's in the, I forget if it's the bridge exactly or wherever, but she'll be dead soon, then she'll sleep. Kind of points to the fact that maybe it is death of some sort, but it mm-hmm. could be, I mean, who can, it doesn't, it's not worth debating <laughs> how literally we should take a <laughs> lyric by Bono. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you too. It is kind of a bit of like, oh, no. are we going off this planet somewhere or is it like we're the whole planet shutting down and we're yeah, ending it, (laughs) ending it all, throwing it, throwing it all away kind of thing. So
1: the Thanksgiving prayer was William S Burroughs. Oh, there you go.
0: All right. So, save that email folks for the next one <laughs> I was just going to say I forgot to mention at btccu2 underscore u2 said in my opinion "Staring at the Sun is the best song of the album at the first time I didn't like pop but now I really like it and then uh, at u2 war 40 for last night on earth said the end of last night on earth live is absolutely u2 kicking are we allowed to say tukas tukas arse arse that's arse. The, the US approved censor uh, approved version of a donkey <laughs> anyways <laughs> All right, let's, before we're really gone, let's keep going.
2: Anyway. I've
3: taken steps that make me feel
2: dizzy, and then you answer it where you
1: Speaking of "Gone," um, wow. this is a, a a track that took different meaning uh, once uh, Michael Hutchins passed away. Mm-hmm. He uh, uh, Bono in concert would yell out to "Hutch, Hutch!" before uh, uh, just diving into "Gone," and and it was at that point when he really put so much emotion into the performance, um, that for me, it, it, um, overrode the album version. Um, but it's, it's, it's such a, a, uh, once again, it's, it's another one of those heavy tracks that, that just make you, um, feel the pit of your stomach. Um, and it, and it's a thinker.
0: Yeah, and uh, just in the chat room, Spice uh, asked who's Hutchinson, it's Michael Hutchinson, Hutchins is a lead, former lead singer of, of uh, In Excess, Australian band who uh, killed himself, committed suicide or died in in uh 97 97 yeah um which yeah is why i i'm looking at youtube.com on, on this album or the song anyways on their their own database and i should check across reference at youtube just to make sure it's accurate <laughs> but they the last time they performed this is 2001 which i hadn't i it feels like the song they would have like i think uh, marilyn you were saying earlier like it feels like a song they would have performed more recently than that um but uh yeah marilyn do you have some gone comments
2: yeah, I think this song, um, I think this is, uh, a, a big F you to everybody <laughs> from Bono to everyone. Um, uh, you know, I think he, I can feel some kind of frustration, uh, in these lyrics from him. Um, uh, maybe he's tired of defending himself. Maybe he's, um, you know, sick of having to explain himself and what the band is doing. And I think, especially this song is just like, you know, screw you guys. We're going to make the music we want to make. We don't care about what you think. Um, and, and like Sherry said, I, I think there's a lot going on within all these songs. I think there's so many layers, but I always look at this like, um, you know, uh, sort of a, start of a fight <laughs> you know like if you want to challenge me go ahead I'm already gone you know like go ahead and challenge me I'm I'm done with you I'm gone
1: it's really funny that he's saying you know you can keep this suit of lights and what was he wearing during uh, the 360 tour uh, at the start of the encore um, e- either during a "Hold me thrill me or um, ultraviolet he was wearing a suit of lights yeah <laughs> You know, um, another uh,
2: missed opportunity. They definitely should have done this song during that
0: tour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tisulo mentioned the charm, best song on the album. And this is another one. I think if I, remember, I forgot to listen to the, the single version or it's the version that's on the best of, or so, there's a, the, I forget whether it was a single version and the best of version or one of the, anyways, that has like a reworked, uh, slightly reedited, uh, version of the song anyways, that, Uh, is more in line with the live version, right? Ian, you can correct me if I'm off. Yeah, there
3: were were two different reader versions of it. The single version, which I think is better, and then the best-of version had that kind of piano intro. And that's one of the things that I do really like about the song, the contrast between the slow, kind of almost plodding rhythm section and the kind of graceful, but slow piano bit. And then you contrast it with Edge's kind of like almost shrill, constantly working at your nerves guitar. And when people say, I mean, when you said, yeah, it's about Bono just saying, screw y'all. I'm tired of this. It, it is that contrast between the desire to keep on moving forward, the slow general push forward, and then Edge's, just that constant irritation, always picking at the back of your head with his high pitch guitar. It's a, it's a really good contrast song. I think
1: it's also a tie to staring at the sun, you know, at the, at the end of gone, he's saying, you know, I'll be up with the sun. Are you still Mm -hmm. holding on? I'm not coming down. A couple songs prior, he, he was staring at the sun. He wanted to go blind. He wanted to be up in the sky and, and it's a pretty quick transition, uh, uh if you're looking at lyrical storytelling that um that that what he he was dreaming about a couple songs later you know that's where he wants to be and that's where he is
3: mm-hmm. and if you if you look at last night on earth he has that line where he references the two british tabloids but it also works in that mm-hmm. i guess three sun structure three sun structure where it's uh, she's at the bus stop with the news of the world and the sun. Sun, here it comes. It's, it's right. got that awesome tabloid tie-in, the Beatles reference, and it says that the sun is coming. And next song, he's off with the sun.
1: Mm-hmm. But is it S O N or S U N? That's for you to figure out. Is it the second coming right. with the apocalypse and all that other stuff? Ooh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it does make for a good trilogy that way of, uh, like Ian you said, and, and it's one that, like, I was going to, what I was going to say before is that I think I'd love to hear how, if they could, or what, what it would sound like, anyways, for, like, an acoustic version of Gone, similar to Staring at the Sun, and in that it's not an obvious, like, it does have, like you said, that sort sh- of shrill guitar and bass, but, uh, uh, yeah, anyways, I could totally hear some sort of acoustic version of it maybe just like annoying coffeehouse version or i don't know we'll see but <laughs> 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 something for the uh the at uh, u2 cover band to work on someday uh all right uh let's keep on going south down in miami oh, no fresh squeaky
2: clean
3: she
2: Adam (laughs) some of Adam's best bass lines are in some of U2's worst songs
0: (laughs) I'll just throw in at U2 war 40 mentioned Miami has one of Adam's best bass lines that easily defeats Bono yelling Miami over and over
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's true I can you know I and I I know there's a lot of songs on this album that get a lot of flack but I can find little nuggets of goodness in every song on this album and and that is for me is the little nugget of goodness is Adam's beautiful bass line.
0: Yeah, I think I, I what I find in this one, I love that too, and, and then also just the again, I keep like the swagger that U2 has, or Bono, I guess if you want to look at it that way, in the lyric and kind of just the way his playfulness and like Ian reference just kind of there's a lot of smart stuff. I mean, there's some really kind of cheesy throwaway lyrics in it as well, but just kind of the the fun he's having with the lyric it's not you know actung baby one kind of lyrics all the time or whatever by any means especially in miami but um yeah the the sort of fun they're having with the music it didn't necessarily pan out commercially but uh it seems like a a lot of fun and at, at stu likes drums mentioned which is maybe why he doesn't like this song he said who is responsible for miami making the cut as an album song worst song on the album for me <laughs> which I love just the, again, the dichotomy and the the extremes that you two fans go to. Uh-huh.
3: So two things, I would say the line, we can make something beautiful, something that wouldn't be a problem. Um, I think that line in and of itself redeems the entire song. It's a, uh, it's, it's just so like, sleazy and sweaty and kind of gross and i can just see someone in miami saying that so clearly and for me it just makes the song but then secondly earlier there was a the reference where's the chest hair this song is like chest hair turned into music it's <laughs> it's it is just that gross and sweaty and just kind of peeking over the like unbuttoned shirt and that that is what this song is
1: <laughs> I I cannot get Alan Ginsberg's reading out of my head on this. When the when uh, uh, just after the Kmart um, album launch, MTV followed you two around uh, for the day or two, and they ended up on a rooftop in New York somewhere where Alan Ginsberg was sat outside wearing his winter coat and winter hat. Uh, reciting the lyrics to Miami. And there's just something that Allen Ginsberg sang, My Mammy.
3: Okay. That was the thing I was referring to earlier. My mistake. It wasn't on the Pop Art special. That was the thing I was remembering. Okay. Thank you for clarifying it for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was going yeah. we'll to say, I love that line too, we could make note. something beautiful, something that wouldn't be a problem. And then that's a beautiful little phrase and then the next phrasing of you know some places are like your auntie but there's no place like miami it's just like oh so crazy.
1: they were trying to find a word to rhyme with miami uh, yeah oh yeah. <laughs>
0: anyway let's let's move on although some well we'll see <laughs>
2: Again, um, one of the more maligned songs on the record. Um, but I, I kind of like the song. There are a lot of throwaway, uh, lyrics on the song, but there's that beautiful little bridge, uh, near the end, um, that redeems the whole song for me where he says, uh, then there will be no time for sorrow. Then there will be no time for shame. Um, and I just love I just love that. I don't know what it is about that um section of the song. But then also Edge and that kind of slide guitar thing he does. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's
0: another one that's probably like uh, you'd say, you know, Adam's bass line even too in here gets kind of is lost in a otherwise fairly throwaway song. And uh, at Bruner Caffey mentioned on Twitter, I never got why everybody hated Playboy Mansion. It's a nice little song with great harmonies, odd gem in the U2 catalog, uh, which, yeah, I would agree with. I think, has it is U2's site uh, accurate in that it's never been played live? Is that correct? That's true. So, why, yeah, the, it doesn't get up there with Acrobat in their requests for some reason.
3: <laughs> I'd rather hear this than Acrobat. <laughs> there you, you know?
0: go. Send for Marilyn me? the hate mail. Go ahead, yes. Sorry.
3: For me, this song commits one of like the cardinal sins in U2's catalog in that it dates itself. Like when you listen to it now, it's like OJ is more than a drink. Um, Michael Jackson is history. I think they've only done it with two other songs. They did it with Seconds where he runs his like USSR, DDR, and then Peking. And then he does it in uh, Kite where it's last of the rock stars when hip hop played the uh, when hip hop drove the big cars and for me, it just, it's it just great so much just cause it is very much of a specific era and a specific point in time. It's not kind of all expansive, like pretty much all of their other songs are. And yeah, for me, yeah, can't forgive it. Can't forgive it.
1: <laughs> well, and this track also had, had a little bit of a controversy, um, in that, uh, uh, if you look at the album art very, very, very carefully and you look at Larry's uh, uh, green uh, uh, tinting um, and the shadowing, you'll see in his eye, if you tilt it to the side, it almost resembles precisely the Playboy Bunny. Wow. And so when the album was first released, knowing that there was a track on it called The Playboy Mansion... There was talk in fan circles um, that that there might be something more to it, given that Larry's eye has the Playboy bunny in it. Now, um, um, I don't think that uh, Hef ever tried suing you two on it, uh, uh, but it was it was one of those little hidden Easter eggy kind kinds of things um, uh, linking the track with the album art.
0: I don't once know. You, I think once that's you see like, the, sorry. I was gonna say that's some Larry folks just staring too long at Larry's eyes, I think. But sorry, go ahead, yeah.
3: I, I was just gonna say, once you see Larry's bunny eye, you can never unsee it. It's there every single time you see it. Yeah. He's got a little yeah. rabbit in his eye. Yep.
0: Yeah. Well you will you can continue to debate that one, but uh all right, let's uh let's move on to if you wear that velvet dress.
3: I really want
0: I'll say first of all that uh, the there's a version with Jules on the Jules Holland show, or from Jules Holland. I forget where it was, but the uh, Jules Holland album "Best of Friends" featuring Bono and his band, full band, doing this song. If you haven't heard, is worth tracking down and taking a listen to um and I think for me this song is just like the it it is is like a bit of a lost gem in that it's a uh, U2 at their sort of slinkiest and I don't know if it's sleazy or not it's certainly yeah in the ballpark of of that but um I I didn't know what to make of it as a song but hearing the sort of other versions they've used it in, in since then uh, and like I said the Jules Holland version um kind of reignited the song is an interesting song to listen to. But, uh, anybody else with velvet dress thoughts?
3: I've always thought this song was almost kind of like ethereal, kind of phantasmal. Like it's, it's not really about, uh, like people. It's about more like kind of platonic concepts. It's just, it's so seductive and so kind of just happening, happening in the middle of like a glowing, um, almost undescribable night it for me it, it kind of goes beyond just like human concepts of like seduction or like lust or whatever it's it's yeah just kind of more this like platonic ideal of a seductive
0: song yeah it's that interesting phrasing <laughs> looking at it again of we've been here before last time you scratched at my door the moon was naked and cold i was like a two-year-old who just wanted more. <laughs> yeah, it's kinda, yeah it's like i don't usually you know the kids don't yeah. Anyway, <laughs> kind of just puts um, your head in this weird space. But go ahead,
2: Marilyn. Uh, I am going to disagree with both of you, men. <laughs>
1: <Ooh>. <laughs> you go, Marilyn. You go.
2: Seriously, this is not a sleazy song, and it is not uh, platonic in any or, way she or form. No,
1: I never,
3: I never said it was sleazy. I think it's, I think it's no, a beautiful no, song. Yeah, she's disagreeing oh, okay. with
0: both of us okay. collectively. I'm Disagreeing <laughs> with you both.
2: Okay. Um, this is a very sexy song, and I think most women who listen to pop will probably skip over the rest of it just to get <laughs> to the song. And uh, I actually need to go take a cold shower now after listening to it. <laughs> um, I I I I adore this song because I feel like Bono is doing his best imitation of um frank sinatra like the crooner Uh, and he's um and i think he pulls it off really well i think it's just a really uh beautiful song um it's a quiet song and the picture of larry in the booklet on that page um just adds to (laughs) my feeling about this song i mean Everybody just, go get your little booklet out of your CD.
3: <laughs> just make sure you take a cold shower if you're going to go take a shower. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. It encouraged too many ladies to wear velvet dresses to the concerts. <laughs> Maybe. Too and many. he would, and, and he would pull them out of the audience to sing to during this, when it was part of the uh, B stage encore. With- um. But I was always captured by the very last verse about tonight, the moon is a mirror ball. So, so it sort of uh, uh, ties back to discotheque light flickers from across the hall, but it's this line who'll catch the star when it falls. If you, if you think about Bono being the star, when he finally falls off of his pedestal, who's going to catch him? So, so I've always looked at this song as a very personal uh, uh, song for Allie.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll definitely just uh maybe, maybe I'll just edit out my comments. Really, <laughs> the <laughs> chat room is is saying things like unbearable, exploding hotness. Yes, yes, pull me up on stage and roll around. <laughs> so it, it was You know, in, in fairness to me, I was put on the spot. Becky uh, is is not here. She was supposed to take the lead. I'm sure she would have had something equally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting to say, is wait, as wait, Mary. Chris,
1: are you wearing a velvet dress right now? <laughs> Maybe,
0: and that's why I haven't snapped any pictures of.
3: <laughs> well, <so> All right, <laughs> the two other things Let's I was save me say, in. I, th- I think, I think the bridge is one of the most. Again, like to tie in with, uh, if God will send His angels, the bridge is one of the most beautiful things you two have ever done. Just hearing that, like chiming, as Bonner says that silver end of the guitar that edge finds and just Adam's bass rumbling underneath it. It is just so beautiful. Um, and then the other question is what does Bono whisper at the start of it? Cause it sounds kind of dirty.
0: I'm sure
1: Marilyn is listening to very know closely, and you find out. Yeah.
3: yeah. I think he says something to every, something different to every person that hears it. <laughs>
1: Larry's my
0: favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you bearing all that in mind, I guess, where do we how do you segue from that into uh into please properly? Because it feels like quite a juxtaposition of of uh songs, but uh anyways we'll we'll try to do that right
3: now. Just, just peel think. off the band aid. Yeah. <laughs> September, you
1: You're going from the lust of if you wear that velvet dress into the reality of please. Um, the fact that the song begins with so you never knew love until you crossed the line of grace so that that juxtaposition that or the or that transition from the one song into this one um is right there in in that um in those first two lines of the um of the track you wake up the next morning and you realize what have i done um this is uh uh this is one of the uh uh pivotal songs that U2 has ever made it takes sunday bloody sunday um takes the anger of sunday bloody sunday and and it presents a a um a very mature uh uh argument to why there needs to be peace it's It's no longer saying, you know, how long to sing this song. It's just, you know, it's not necessarily begging, but it's like you guys have got to get it together. We've got to find this common ground. Um, And and there's no way to do it because you still have that little bit of resentment, that little bit of anger in there, you know? So, So you never knew how low you'd stoop. And 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 the Catholics and the Protestants and this and that. The when this song was released as a single, you had the four key politicians um, uh, in the in the artwork for it, and and it was one of the driving forces for that Good Friday agreement in uh, when was it in 1998. So this is taking all of that history and just pouring it into uh, roughly a five-minute track. Uh, when it was performed live, it was powerful.
0: Yeah, you 2 War 40 mentioned, please is a great prayer, but the Troubles is the best song, to, is it the best song to segue into streets, which certainly was definitely on that tour. Um, and uh, and again, if, if for whatever reason you haven't found yourself to picking up a copy of the Pop Heart live EP, definitely Mm. worth grabbing just for that very reason please going into where the streets have no name and then uh it also has two songs from the my first u2 show uh which was the pop mart show in edmonton in 97 um so but yeah for me this song is both like there's a political and the like we've said many times already on this episode of of u2 but then musically as well the it's kind of to me like uh now hear me out it's a (laughs) It's a little bit like Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven or Guns N' Roses November Rain, where it's like a this song that builds to something and has a like this massive outro. Um and 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 sort of one of U two's songs like that in their catalogue that they can do and um is edge us literally on fire as Bon. <laughs> has proclaimed many times, but actually is on this song. And, and just the, uh, the, yeah, I love all the melodies and, and guitar lines floating throughout this song and, um, the band as a whole coming together. Uh, it's, it's the one, definitely the song on this album that I go back to time and again, regardless of whatever mood I'm in, especially noodling around a guitar or something like that and trying to, um, it works great as acoustic version as well. And, and it's fun to play that way and, and sort of hear it. Not that I don't think you two's ever done an acoustic version of it, but, um, so, well,
3: they, yeah, they did do that stripped down version after 9 11 on mm-hmm. uh, the right. Elevation Tour. Um, for me, yeah, just two things come to mind. Uh, it's another example of where the single version was so much better than the album version. And secondly, um, there's just a series of lines in this song that truly convinced me that, I mean, anybody who liked doubts pop just needs to. Just look at the song again. And Bono is truly one of the greatest rock lyricists in history. Just these lines. So love is hard and love is tough, but love is not what you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. Love is big. It's bigger than us, but love is not what you're thinking of. It's what lovers deal. It's what lovers steal. You know, I found it hard to receive because you, my love, I could never believe. Just ah, oh, just what he does with that. It's, Yeah, it gives me goosebumps, honestly.
1: <laughs> and the video like, is very emotional
2: yeah. I just wanted to say that I feel like um, the lyrics he's really just calling calling you out you know what I mean um you know like oh please like get up off your knees like that kind of um, uh, whatever it is that you're doing is not appreciated
3: <laughs>
0: False <laughs> humility you know
2: what I mean? yeah exactly yeah. exactly
0: Yeah, very cool. All right, well, let's uh, go on to the final song on the album Uh, Wake Up Dead Man.
3: So I wrote a little bit about this song and in, in, off the record a few months ago about uh, how it's one of kind of U2's dark corners along with songs like Corpse. Um, and the thing that they had in common was the Edge's heavy involvement in the song. Evidently he wrote a lot of the song, wrote a lot of the lyrics in the song and just the way Bono's voice, the effect that's put on it, it makes it sound like it's in such a contained claustrophobic space, like a crypt or a coffin or something like that. Uh, it's the song where, I mean, they they have that little hint of the F bomb in mofo, but this is the only song where they've ever dropped a full on F bomb, but I can't imagine a more appropriate place for it. And then you have, um, I think, it, uh, what was it? I think it was Romanian or Bulgarian, uh, like, uh, folk songs in the background, just, that's the wailing that you hear behind the, uh, main lyrics of the song. It, it's, it's so angry and so sad and so trapped and so kind of despondent. And what I really, really find fascinating is this is the song they finish up pop with just this horrible, trapped, contained, like miserable little song. And then the song they open up all that You Can't Leave Behind With, the next album song that comes after this is this massive, expansive, beautiful day. And just the contrast, those two bookends.
1: Yeah, he, I love it. I love it. It's as if Bono found Prozac.
3: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or he got out of the coffin and finally
0: got a bit of sun again. Yeah, there you go. Yeah got out of the discotheque and you know, yeah yeah <laughs> it's one that i feel like uh like it works in terms of the, like you sort of describe the sceni- scenery of it almost and the production works in that sense but it, as a, as a, just a standalone song it feels like it it hurt it suffers from overproduction and over because there's a very beautiful song in there that given you know even the if you would wear it if you would wear the velvet dress kind of style production it could work really well not copying it exactly but just that style um it could work really well as well and uh, especially just the lyric and, and the sort of sultry bono uh the way he sings it almost um through this but yeah muffled kind of like you said coffin <laughs> sounding or whatever um and it, like i guess said it works in the in terms of the album and it, as a, a great way i think artistically to end the album with that style of production but um yeah, just in terms of uh, as a song, it feels like it gets lost in it a bit, uh, and a, a better song on its own, anyways, was was there to be found. But uh, we'll have to wait. But another what's day.
1: also interesting is is the um, EPK, the um, electronic press kit that was released um, to preview Pop prior to it coming out. Um, they featured. Um, discotheque at the beginning. And then there was this really wacky wonky transition and the rest of the EPK is wake up dead man. Um, was it a good choice to sell the album? Probably not. Um, it, it just felt very weird to, to, uh, uh, use a good chunk of this track to promote the new U2 release, you know, um, Uh, and it doesn't sound very poppy, you know, once again, just like Octung baby, it's a, it's a, it's a silly sounding title for, for a really heavy album. Um, it carries over with, with this particular one. Um, the line "Listen as hope and peace try to rhyme." Listen over marching bands playing out their time. You would have the Orange Day parade or the St. Patrick's Day parade, where you would have the the um, the religious factions playing their marching bands um, uh, going through the streets, and 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 that memory of. Of of mine from back in '93 when I was in Glasgow for um, um, for a, a college trip, and I witnessed the Orange Day parade and the marching bands. Um, I'm thrown right back there about you know hear uh, uh, Bono's singing about you know we need help here, we need uh, peace, we need. W- You know, once again, God, where are you? This whole album is screaming out, God, where are you? Um, You're not in anywhere I'm looking for. Where are you?
3: And then referring back to Octoon Baby, this was uh, one of the lines from my favorite of the Octoon Baby outtakes, where I I don't know the song ever had an official title, but you could see where it was going to become. Uh, the fly and lady with the spinning head mm-hmm. and partway through the song Ed- edge just starts singing, wake up, wake up, dead man. And just keeps on repeating that in right. one of the choruses. And then I think wake up dead man was one of the lyrics or one of the song titles that was hidden in Zuropa's static on the back of the cover, along with mm-hmm. it, God will send his angels and hold me, throw me, kiss me, kill me. So you could see it was a concept that had been with them and edge in particular for a long while before finally showed up on
1: pop. Right.
0: Yeah. It's one of those ones where you would love to hear, you know, like you said that version, but like just the actual Genesis of the moment or the, not the Genesis, the moment, the spark, I guess when it finally was like, okay, now it's ready to be on an album and <laughs> sort of the, mm-hmm. that process of going for many years in the sort of let's keep trying and banging away at this one until we can figure out something to d- use it for or whatever. And um, so um all right. Well, in, what was I was thinking it was going to be a shorter episode has gone an hour and a half almost, so I'm uh changing. I'm Mar- Matt, I'm gonna just filter any emails I get from you, just go to spam. So don't bother letting me know how long it was. We had fun talking about pop. Um, quickly going around the round table here at btcc underscore u2 says, Which is your favorite pop song? So we're gonna go quickly. Um, Marilyn, what's your favorite pop song, song for pop? song from pop is uh please hey sherry mofo and ian
3: mofo not even a contest
0: and mine would be pleased. So, uh, and then Kevin at who said, "Rank Pop as a U two album, and is Pop Popmart the most significant tour, playing Sarajevo, Cape Town, and Johannesburg, and the most countries ever?" Both great questions, and and something that we will, I think, we'll use some of those kind of ideas for either our wrap up discussion, maybe of everything, or maybe when we just talk tours. I don't. Know, we we have a few different ideas for future episodes, so we'll we'll. U choose
1: most <laughs> underrated album.
0: There you go. <laughs> Probably can say that. Uh, so yeah, coming up next, uh, now that we've we've popped pop, I don't know what that means. Uh, all that you can, can't leave behind is the next album that we'll be discussing. And uh, and we'll be doing that here. And uh, we record this live if you want to tune in. some Sometimes, usually, we record live goodstuff.fm slash live is where we record it. And you can find past episodes at goodstuff.fm slash at two. You can follow the at uh, U2 crew on Twitter at ATU2 and Facebook.com slash atu U2Com. Folks around the round table here, where can folks find you? Let's start with you, Sherry.
1: At U2Com, Sherry, as always.
0: And Ian. At Ian P Ryan. And Marilyn.
1: At Miss Marilyn.
0: And I'm I Chris, and thank you to at Simon Peta for the theme music that you're hearing uh, as we exit the show, and hope you enjoyed our episode on pop, and like I always do after every one of these episodes, go back and re-listen to the the songs and the singles, and kind of gets me back in the mood for listening to that era or that album of U2, and uh, always, as we said, be sure to comment or send us a comment or tweet using the hashtag you 2 and we'll Be sure to include you in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye.